c'est vrai. Je suis un ananas. Now, in the uh, towers of uh, Edmonton... I'm not a Tory. I don't speak on both sides. I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict of crack cocaine. Welcome back to Fat French and Fabulous. We are here in not sunny in the middle of the night, New York. Yay, we're together. Physically proximate. Look at that. I can touch your face. <laughs> I, I just put my finger up her nose. Okay. I I should have so, looked before I left. <laughs> I, the recently <laughs> violated, you've been <laughs> nasally violated. <laughs> the recently nasally penetrated. I'm going to touch your whole face. There we go. That's your whole face. I, I am Jessica. <laughs> and I'm Janelle. And I should look at what I'm doing more. Just gonna do that. There you go. I'm gonna touch your hair. Look yes. At that. You're, you're, I'm very soft. You're probably not a hallucination. <laughs> probably. <laughs> very probably. Or at the very least, my voice is currently causing waveforms through your microphone. You are a hallucination that can eat Shake Shack. Mmm. Delicious, delicious Shake Shack. <laughs> I stand by that. Suck it, West Coasters, with your In N Out burger. Yeah. You know, this, the first thing I noticed upon arriving in New York it wasn't the people. It wasn't the food. It's the fucking smell. It was the smell. I told you it would be the smell. <laughs> and I mean, and I believed you. I fully understood and believed you that there was a smell. I told you right off the bat, New York but, smells like boiled hot dogs and stale urine. Yeah, but even with that understanding, even with that intellectual comprehension of the fact, there's nothing quite like the experience yeah, of New York smell. You gotta have it... You just, you gotta be here. You yeah. gotta, if you if, really gotta, you really gotta be here and breathe it in. <laughs> because that is a smell with personality. <laughs> that is a smell, not just with personality, but with sentience. You can kind probably. of navigate by it. We found our way to Central Park by the smell of horseshit earlier today. <laughs> just like, oh, heading the right way. <laughs> yes, this is where the horses go. Hmm. Mm, well, you know, you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> Because yeah. you'll move elsewhere due to the smell. Yeah, it's been great. I, I I even got to flip off Trump Tower, so I'm feeling awesome. There's a video. We <laughs> we may or may not post that. That might get us actually blacklisted. <laughs> and I still have to live here. So. They can deport me at any time. I've already got what I wanted. <laughs> Good. It's not you're not here to see me at all. You're just here to make a rude gesture toward a building. Isn't that why everyone comes to New York these days? That's true. You know, Broadway, flip off Trump Tower. That that big green lady in the bay, the Statue of Liberty. Is that what she's called? Oh Jesus! <laughs> I just thought everybody liked the sexy big green lady. Sometimes I forget that you're homeschooled, and sometimes I'm like, oh no, no, that sounds about right. That's that seems correct. I am self-taught. <laughs> Is that what we're calling it? <laughs> so uh, our our first week. Back together. Um, is it Janelle week? Hooray! Yay! Which means I have physical notes. You're gonna hear papery sounds all through the thing. They're gonna fantastic. be delightful. They are delightful. If I get lippy, I'm well within smacking range. Oh god. Oh yeah, you definitely are. I just <laughs> stabbed you in the nose. <laughs> Touched your hair. It's, it's getting weird. One quick backhand and and, and I am effectively silenced. <laughs> it's just a Janelle show from now on. <laughs> So we're taking a quick break this week from Unsolved Murders and Mysterious Disappearances, and we're going to go on to a lighter topic, which is a serial killer. Yay! Yay! That voice haunts me. Um, death, death, death. 
<laughs> no, this is why you didn't make the cheerleading team. Among other things. Oh yeah, there's there were some reasons. <laughs> Chiefly, most which, of them just <laughs> you were homeschooled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mom did not have a lot of time for her kids just like practicing flips in the backyard. <laughs> Just you and your little cheerleader costume on the lawn. My sister was unwilling to throw me. (laughs) Jesus. So this week we're talking about the case of Alan Legere, who was a serial killer who was active in and around my home province of New Brunswick about two years before I was born. Um, He's unusual for a serial killer in a lot of ways. So for one thing, he was actually caught shortly after his first murder, which makes him a pretty shitty serial killer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he wouldn't be a serial killer at all if he hadn't managed to make a pretty daring escape from a maximum security prison and keep on killing. He's a go-getter. He, okay. As in going and getting her. Yeah, that's, that's too much praise. I was going to call him (laughs) a deranged maniac, but I guess if you want to use like... I admire ambition. We're, we're gonna need to talk about your role models. <laughs> That's the problem we have in Canada. Tall poppy syndrome. <laughs> Determination is not always blindly a good thing. <laughs> it really... Not always a virtue. Sometimes life puts obstacles in your way because you should not get what you want. <laughs> if what you want is several dead elderly women. <laughs> God. So my parents actually lived in the area at the time. And, um, when I was researching this podcast, I just sort of casually mentioned it to my mother and they can remember being scared shitless of this guy because everybody was. So my parents, before I came along to just ruin their lives, just utterly devastate their checkbook, just destroyed, just, just absolutely drop kicked their finances into a position they never recovered from. But when my parents were more portable and not toting around newborn me, My parents were constantly traveling between Moncton, where I was eventually born, and my father's hometown of Camelton on the north shore of New Brunswick. And in order to drive between those places, you have to drive right past the area, right through the area where Alan Legere was active. And you actually have to drive right past one of his major crime scenes because it's literally on the side of the highway. I passed it on my way to New York, actually. My my mother drove me from Edmonton to New York because my parents love me more than they love their other two children. Mm. Well, that's quite lovely. The scenic route. Mm. Seeing Ontario is eternal. Yeah. There's a distinct chance that I'm mm. still driving through Ontario. And this Sudbury. Is all... Oh my god. There's a chance that I'm still just driving through Ontario and all of this has been an elaborate hallucination. <laughs> and I'm still on my way to New York City. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that Ontario ends. Yeah, you might be just imagining me here beside you because you have sim- were simply driven insane by the sight of all those ni- nickel strip mines. Oh my god. <laughs> we were driving through Sudbury and my mom was like, Talking to people out the window. We would drive past people and my mom would be like, You can leave. It's okay. (laughs) There's life outside of here. No one will stop you. You deserve anything other than Sudbury. They don't man the borders. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're going to get hate mail from Sudbury. Fight me, Sudbury. I'll fight all of you. Okay, that's awesome. So we'll bef- fight you outside of Sudbury so you can find out what life is really like. <laughs> Even bloodied and bruised. <laughs> Still better. Still not a nickel strip mining capital. <laughs> so before we get into anything else, we have to talk about the pronunciation. You've already read the title, because I assume you do before you listen to this podcast. His nickname is pronounced The Monster of the Miramichi. 
So if you read the title wrong and you thought that he was the monster of the Miramichi, you are wrong. And you should... And if you thought he was the the monster of the Maraschino, you need to read more slowly. Yeah, you need to slow down. (laughs) You maybe also should see somebody. That might be dyslexia. (laughs) You should have that looked at. But yeah, like... It's it's not Miramichi, it's Miramichi or Miramichi, if you're a true local. And, like, I, I get that the pronunciation doesn't really match the spelling, but that's because the Maritime increasingly names things after the indigenous Mi'kmaq language, and that's how it works. Language is a lie. And spelling is made up. You have a language degree. Yes, and it taught me that language is a lie, and spelling is made up. You have a Bachelor of Lies. I'm telling people that from now on. <laughs> They your, will believe it. Putting your bio on the <laughs> Facebook page. Bachelor of Lies. So, you know, when, when you oust a people from their homeland and destroy their way of life, they get to spell things how they want. So he's the monster of the Miramichi. Um, true story, though. There's actually a Stephen King novel. I think, I'm pretty sure it's The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, but I was not willing to read the entire bibliography of Stephen King to find out. It's a long read. It's a, yeah. Woof. Uh, where King absolutely butchers the spelling of Miramichi and attempts to spell it phonetically. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> And nobody caught it. Nope. Nope. All, all six people who lived there were just didn't happen to catch it. Mm. So the early life of Alan Legere, there's not, it's not easy to find information. His crimes took place in the late 80s before the days of the internet, and he hasn't really garnered a lot of fame outside of the immediate area, despite how unusual and extreme his crimes were, and also despite the fact that he is the first Canadian ever to be convicted with DNA evidence. Wow, that is... Yeah. A- trendsetter. He should be more famous. Yeah. New Brunswick has so little. Let us have this. Let us have just this. <laughs> I guess, like in business, serial killing is all location, location, location. No, this is not a real estate ad. <laughs> We're not... <laughs> Every time we make a video about a murderer, it turns into an instructional, yeah, the, the in- inspirational why, tape. The reason why Son of Sam is so famous is not because he was particularly creepy, although apparently he did smell strongly of milk. It's because what? he was terrorizing a big populous area. We're literally in the area he terrorized. Isn't that amazing? No. Life is has so many strange coincidences. Jesus Christ, all of our I podcasts... I feel like I'm touching greatness. All of our podcasts turn into just instructional tapes on how to murder people. We're basically stabbing to the oldies. I like to look on the light side of life, Janelle. This isn't the light side. This is people being senselessly murdered in the street. You should listen to Kermit the Frog more. He, he gives you calming, beautiful advice on how to see the silver lining. Somebody spiked your tea. It's not easy being green. <laughs> and it's not easy being murdered. I need to maybe not let you <laughs> scoop tea out of the coffee can. That Some of that might not be tea. There may have been a tragic mix-up over breakfast. <laughs> I've been having disagreements with my psychiatrist. <laughs> we are at odds. <laughs> it's going to be a weird podcast, guys. <laughs> um, so, Alan Legere, Alan Joseph Legere. Ooh, we're since formal. Is he, has he been naughty? <laughs> what the? Yes, he killed five people. Very naughty. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and we punished him with jail, not with a teacher costume and a ruler. Alan Joseph. <laughs> I feel like your view of the criminal justice system is maybe comes from a porn someone let you watch. <laughs> I feel like your mind just didn't understand what it was seeing and you had to somehow make sense of it. The first six minutes of porn are very interesting. Then it gets dull. What? <laughs> You're just going through Pornhub, just watching it for the story and then skipping? I just get so invested in those characters and then they spend the rest of the time naked and like... 
like licking unsanitary things. I'm going to teach you to knit or something less destructive. <laughs> I'm clumsy. Oh, no. So, um, Alan Joseph Legier was born on February 13th, 1948 in the town of Chatham, New Brunswick. So at the time, Chatham was a little town of 4,000 people in the northern part of New Brunswick along the Miramichi River. It is now a bustling metropolis of 6,000 people in the northern part of New Brunswick <laughs> along the Miramichi River. Um, on a totally unrelated note, and you're about to geek the fuck out, Chatham is where the 11th Prime Minister of Canada, R.B. Bennett, <gasps> I know, I know. Oh my gosh, R.B. Bennett! I remembered. Happy <gasps> Valentine's Day. <laughs> I didn't know you cared. <laughs> Why your favorite Prime Minister is a completely unknown man who happened to be the 11th Prime Minister and did, I don't know what. Hey, he's my second favorite. Who's your favorite? Lester Pearson, bitch. <laughs> All right. I am all about Mike. <laughs> there is an 85% chance you have licked an airport. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where our... It's as close as I can come to him. Okay, now we need to get you tested for everything. Um, R.B. Bennett won his first ever election in Chatham. He won the race for town alderman by a single vote. Neat. <laughs> Not exactly a rousing... Victory. Victory. Yeah, but I mean... What do you want? You got your R.B. Bennett out a of it. A plurality is a plurality. There we go. So that's, I mean, in, in a town the size of Chatham, that's a sizable majority. <laughs> True. I assume most of their, like, most of their elections probably end in a coin toss or just picking a guy because no one ran. <laughs> so Legere was born in Chatham Head. We only got so many names in the Maritimes. I guess it's, you either take a nearby place name and add Head or you just call it Sackville. Mm. Sort of just the naming conventions of the Maritimes. There are so many Sackvilles. Uh, there's many. I've li I've lived in at least one. Legier was born in Chatham Head, which is considered a poor, crappy neighborhood, even in a poor, crappy part of the country. Yeah. Which, to be clear, I'm allowed to say because I'm from there. But if I you am not fucking, allowed to say that. No, if you fucking do it, I will. <laughs> I mean, backhand. I, I can now backhand you in person, but I can. <laughs> I will reach through this podcast and I will slap your face. Um. So. When I say poor, I don't mean that these are people who, like, drive used cars and have to shop for the kids at Goodwill. Like, these are people who routinely go without food or heat kind desperate, of poor. Desperate, desperate poverty. It's not good. No. It's sad, and it makes you feel sad. And it's it was pretty well known that this was not a place that you would go after dark. Um, and people didn't even like to drive through it. Like, this wasn't even a, like, lock your doors. Like, you just don't drive through it. It's not mm. a good place. So this is not, it's not a good start. No. To life. Uh, <laughs> this is unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, Jessica was born in Grand Prairie, and we see how that ended up. So Chatham Head is just... We have money in Grand Prairie. That's true. We just choose to snort it up all all, all up our noses. It's not really an and endorsement. And spend it on jacking up trucks. <laughs> oh, exciting. <laughs> Neither of which are things I like to do, which is why I was banished. I like to look at those nutty axles. <laughs> Naughty, naughty axles. Yeah, you don't understand. I Paul. don't. No. No, I grew up in a town where everyone owns a truck, and uh, I owned a white minivan, and uh, uh, the closest I can come to naming the make and model of a car is, uh, it's, uh, I'm just off of it's a white one. Sometimes I think I've achieved inner peace, and then I remember that you can and do drive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good feeling gone. Not frequently. No, but it's it's still a thing that can happen. Yeah. Uh, one time I was on a, on a drive to uh, Saskatchewan, and the driver pulled over the car and said that he couldn't get, go on. 
And I was literally the only other person in the car with a driver's license, despite the fact I had not driven in four years. Uh, so I did not tell anyone else in the car this, because I thought they deserved to die peacefully. <laughs> I might have actually hooked up the other passengers to a sled, a get-a-rod <laughs> style, and just gone that way. Yeah! <laughs> um, so Ellen Legere was the fourth child of Louise Legere, a woman who made ends meet by renting out rooms in her home. Alan's father was a random boarder who rented a room from her for a time and then skipped town before he was born. Delightful. Yeah, not a good start. So, like many serial killers, Alan Legere had a weird and complicated relationship with his mother. Like me. Uh, did did you kill five people and escape from a maximum security facility? We've already discussed my tendency of revealing personal information that That's might right. bring me to the attention of the police on this podcast. We've agreed to stop incriminating you on the podcast. And now that we're in America, I have the right to remain silent. Oh, that's true. Yes. Welcome to the States. Yeah. Enjoy your newfound freedom. <laughs> mm. It's a delight. You can also have a gun, but please don't. Yeah, I think that might be for the best. I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alan Legere's entire childhood had, like, weird sexual overtones. The documentary I watched on Alan Legere described his mother as, and I directly quote, not terribly selective with her partners, and the walls of the house were not terribly well insulated. Mm. Yeah, so that's sort of a neat way to say that Legere grew up listening to his mom take dick from strangers on a regular basis. <laughs> that was... A polite way of saying it. Yeah, his mom was basically sampling a rich buffet of dick. Just a plethora. Yeah, and he was there to watch the whole thing. He was basically <laughs> the busboy at his mother's rich buffet of dick. Um, so that probably does things to you. Yeah. Sexual undertones are the worst undertones to have with one's mother. Ooh. Not in my experience. <laughs> no, no. This, this is my not... undertones with my mother are not sexual. They're purely romantic. I'm gonna get you deported. <laughs> this was a bad idea. You're just gonna immediately call 311 and report me. I am. So I like that we've plugged the New York City reporting line. If you're in New York City and you need to report something, like a mysterious woman who has romantic overtones with her mother, you call 311. Yeah. It's no. Neat. Literally, my mother occasionally tries to trick me by asking me, like, sentences like, Hey, Jessica, do you like milk? And then I'll respond, Yes, mother, I do. And then she'll go, Ha ha ha! You said I do. Now I'm married. <laughs> Your whole family needs hobbies. <laughs> there's just, there's a lot of them. One there's... time I responded, I don't. And then she sadly whispered, Divorce. <laughs> I can't decide if your family should huff less glue or if huffing glue would make this better. More or less glue. Is we should the, experiment. We should we should tinker with the glue levels. Um, Legere was also made to share a room with his sister way past an age when that's okay. Mm. And he became fixated on watching her dress and undress. This was his <clears throat> favorite thing. <laughs> Not good. Mm -mm. That is a bad start. It's a really bad start. Yeah, especially because, like, sometimes what you fixate on sexually at an early age fucks you up. It gets stuck. <laughs> it's just, mm, it's just like, like a song stuck in your head, except now you like to watch women 
Yeah, it's like, like Justin Bieber's baby, except it will destroy you. Except now you're sexually fixated on washing machines and no one can help you. <laughs> There's nothing that can be done. <laughs> you can forget baby. You cannot forget a predilection for hard... <laughs> if you're giggling, what you're about to say is disgusting. <laughs> Maybe we should move on. <laughs> Before we self-incriminate. Before we do any more damage to my reputation. <laughs> So during his school years, Legere got very mixed reactions from his teachers and peers. I bet. <laughs> yeah. Um, some people, uh, he was bright, but he was odd. And people interpreted that very differently. Mm. I mean, this was before the age when, like, we went straight to school shooter. So, you know. Mm. But I assume had he lived in modern times, he would be on some sort of watch list. <laughs> so some people thought that Alan was sort of an artistic kid. I don't know, I'm calling him Alan. I'm not on first name terms with the serial killer. Mr. Legere, Mis- thank you. Mister- he doesn't get a mister. He's just Legere. <laughs> Monster? I don't know. Mr. Miramichi? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I'm just being overly formal to a river. <laughs> I put Alan in my notes. I was feeling friendly. So, probably because he was a child. Probably. Uh, so the people that he liked saw got to see a side of him that suggested he was artistic, he was kind of angsty, he was sort of that whole, like, tortured beat poet thing going on. Um, oh no, now we're snapping. <laughs> I feel like the only part of Ginsburg's howl that you know is just a long, tortured, screaming sound. Is that not what it is? That's- no. No. <laughs> Well, I've been disappointed. (laughs) You've been giving poetry recitations that are just tortured howls? (laughs) They did not invite me. The Poetry Slam Club at UBC did not invite me back. (laughs) What a shame. Talk Uh, to me, Carol. (laughs) So people who didn't like Ligier thought he was just a monster. He was antisocial, and he frequently started violent fights with people, which I can kind of see why that would turn people against you. I mean, that's also the description of the Prime Minister who was in charge of Canada when I was born, so I don't see the problem. It's Kretschia. I was gonna say, hang on. (laughs) Hang on. It's Kretschia. I can do this. I got this. It is Kretschian. The complex math of remembering my age and remembering who was in power in the 90s. That's two things. That's one more thing than I can do at once. (laughs) So, yeah, he didn't grow up to be prime minister. Spoiler alert. Whoops. So people he didn't like frequently reported they were scared of him, which, you know, was actually pretty reasonable. So Alan was on his way to being a career, career criminal during his school years, but there was one incident that seems to have really cemented his path in life. So, his 15-year-old older brother was walking across a bridge in town, I assume the only bridge in town, one night, when he was How run over by- How many could they have? I don't know. Two? Three? I don't know. Who's, who's putting bridge limits on the mirror machine? Um, his 15-year-old brother was walking across the bridge when he was run over by a truck and killed. And his mother obviously didn't take this well. And after the boy's death, she frequently told Alan that she wished that he had died instead of his brother. Which Ooh. is- Yeah. Don't do that. Ooh. Yeah. It's basically, like, so emotionally damaging. It's basically a Marvel <laughs> supervillain origin story. This is his supervillain origin story. This is his start to darkness. Yep, so his mother's rejection made him more antisocial, which made the community reject him, and then hit the community rejection made his mother reject him, which made him act like a big old fuckstick. And this just turned into a fucking spin cycle of emotional abuse. So this was sort of... Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't doing well before, and this is... This didn't fucking help. No. Um, after that, there's not a lot of information on his early life until his first murder. So we do know that he became a mechanic at some point. 
He also spent the late 70s working as a car salesman in Winchester, just outside of Ottawa. Fancy. Quite prestigious. The high life. Um, Mm, Just really rolling. I mean, if you live in New Brunswick... Leaving New it Brunswick is a is, step up. Yeah, it's it's success. True story. When I moved back to New Brunswick in university, I had to go to the medical center for something. I got. I thought I had pneumonia, but it turns out I was uh, had black mold poisoning from my dorm room. Delightful. Really great. Uh, so I went to the hospital, and it was in the same hospital network as the hospital I was born in. And they like took one look at my record, and they were like, "Holy shit, you haven't been to a hospital since 1992." <laughs> It's been 20 years, like, you've been so healthy. And I was like, no, 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 I, I grew up in Alberta. And the nurse looks at me and she's like, but you'd already succeeded. Why did you come back? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. They are a depressed and self-aware people. <laughs> I made it to New York. I did good. So, yeah, he, he spent some time living in a farmhouse in a town called Inkerman, also in Ontario. And later returned to his native New Brunswick because you just can't stay away from that place. Yeah, returning like a... Like an effing homing pigeon. I was going to say, it just comes back like a bad rash. (laughs) (laughs) So by the time Alan Legere committed his first murder, he already had a colorful and lengthy criminal record. His favorite thing to do, which this isn't healthy, this this is not on the list of approved Jessica hobbies before I say anything else. He was really fond of breaking into houses when other people were home. So one of the things he would do is he would stand over them in bed. Like, he would just stand next to the bed and stare at them until they woke up because he wanted them to know that they were that he was there. What? Is that weird? It's a little strange. Next time you commit a home invasion, Jessica, you leave before they wake up. Right. Will do. This but is, I can still make breakfast, this right? This is basically just an audiobook of how to commit crimes. This is this is not going well. <laughs> <laughs> we have lawyers that listen to this. Can I oh, or can God. I not make pancakes before I leave the house? Do not make your pancakes at home. Oh. You steal the ingredients and you make it at home. This is basic oh, thieving so shit. So I don't bring them and then make it and then leave. I feel like that just makes you a Keebler elf. <laughs> <laughs> they set out plates of plates of milk for me. <laughs> <laughs> plates? Who serves milk in a plate? Like saucers. <laughs> Do people not do that for pixies nowadays? I have been I have been feeling a bit peckish as of late. It's weird how you grew up in a Neil Gaiman novel and now you're a person. That's a that's a neat trick. Um, if Alan Legier was, I guess, in a hurry and didn't have time to wait for them to wake up, he liked to pile all their clothes on top of them in bed so when they woke up, he knew that he would be there. They they would know that he'd been there. Like Santa Claus nibbling at cookies, I guess. <laughs> um, he once cut the underwear off of a female minister while she slept. Mm. So, I mean, I don't have my master's in psychology yet, but I'm going to go with dude head issues. Um, in my professional opinion. With absolutely no qualifications, not even those of your sterling self. <laughs> I'm going to say bit fucked up. Yeah. Mm. I'm, I concur. <laughs> you do have a Bachelor in Lies. I do have a Bachelor in Lies. So, you know, checks out. Uh, Legere lived in Moncton for much of his adult life, for some reason, but focused his crimes on his hometown. This is kind of a recurring theme, but uh, Legere was not fond of the Miramichi or the way that he'd been treated. And um, no. he's he's an unusual serial killer. We'll kind of get into this later, but his, his motors are sort of all over the place. But revenge against his hometown is a recurring theme. Vengeance. He's like a Batman villain. He's he is effectively a Batman villain. I'm kind of outraged that he's not more famous, to be honest. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not saying that the crimes should have happened, but since they did, yeah. I mean, since they did, it's like 
So many criminals are unjustly vilified when really their major motivation is just personal gain or eating or the fact that they're deeply mentally ill. He tortured and killed five people. I'm not kidding. Very rarely do we have like genuine, genuine wahaha. They all, they all wronged me. They all thought I'd never amount to anything. Now I'm going to haunt their dreams. I think you're just describing the Columbine shootings. Um, yeah, that, there is some no, similarity. No, we, we do have some stuff like that. Um, he was, he was especially fun, though. Like a lot of serial killers, Lazier kind of had a thing for fire. Mm. Um, it's not, it's fire. not a good sign. If you're, if your kid likes Ooh, to light shit on fire done. past a certain age, you should probably just, I don't know, send them back. Just put them back. Just put them back. Just cram them back up there. Yep. They're not done yet. <laughs> they were insufficiently cooked. Put so, them back in the oven. And this is where it's really important to tell you that this is not a fucking instruction manual. But he was especially fond of a trick where he would open a hardcover book on the floor so that the pages were facing down. And he would reach under it and light the pages on fire from beneath. Ooh. Which sort of creates this little stove tent effect. So that the fire wouldn't really begin in earnest until he'd already had the time to drive the hour, 90-minute drive back to Moncton. So by the time the fire was discovered, he had an alibi. The Miramichi police, who fucking knew him at this point, <laughs> would phone the Moncton police and be like, Okay, Alan Legere has set something on fire. And they'd be like, but he was here the whole time. <laughs> I cannot emphasize enough that this is not instructions. Not an instruction manual. Not an instruction manual. This Absolutely is just information. Not. Never set a book on fire. Don't burn down people's homes, Jessica. And also that. <laughs> if you want to burn books, that's your prerogative. If Caillou hurt you, you can burn him in the yard. You can burn Caillou. I stand. <laughs> I agree. Is Caillou a thing that people will know outside of Canada? Absolutely not. No, Caillou's this sad, bald child yeah, who's not good at anything. And The we reason why he has that weird name is because it's French. Yeah, he's this sad little French bald child. He's like eight and he's still bald. Um, it's not a cancer thing, he's just bald. Uh, that all Canadian kids have to read about when they're growing up. And it's just, it's just the adventures of a sad boy with no friends who's not good at anything. He's the most useless child. <laughs> he's, he's basically just skin that walks around. Um, burn him. Burn him. Yeah, you can burn any children's thing that hurt you. If it helps you excise your demons, <laughs> do the, it. If the Berenstain Bears were just too much. If Clifford the dog was your start to darkness. <laughs> if the dumb bunnies gave you true and lasting trauma. <laughs> Do what must be done. You see the boxcar kids in your nightmares. Cleanse them. Cleanse <laughs> them in the flames. Did the borrowers hurt you? <laughs> Show them the true meaning of the flame. Okay. That's the reason we turned out the way we did. <laughs> <laughs> Too much wholesome children's literature, apparently. I was very fond of the Animorphs, which oh. is an actual children's series about guerrilla warfare. Is that not a thing people had outside Canada either? I think they had the... I think they had those. I think they had... I think they Everybody had got teenagers morphing into fucking anteaters for reasons mm. known, known to anything man or science. Horrifying. Absolutely. I love that. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you licked the covers. I did not. <laughs> I respect books. <laughs> I licked my hands after they touched the covers. Okay. 
that's not better. Uh, Legere also married and had children at some point. This is, like, again, Legere was somebody who was... A success story. No, he's not a success story. This is not an instruction manual, and this is not a fucking uh, shrine to Alan Legere. This is just an informational podcast where I make fun of the fact that your brain's crooked. <laughs> it's so crooked. Like, some people's perspectives are a little, a little twisted. I have a full dult Dutch tilt. <laughs> I do. <laughs> it's like planet Earth. It just wobbles on its axis in there. <laughs> I don't know who Alan Legere's wife or children are. I don't know what happened to them or where they went. I'm willing to bet that they don't particularly want to be found. Yeah. Uh, Let us leave them in peace. We will leave them in peace. So Alan Legere committed his first murder on June 21st of 1986 at the age of 38. Which makes him a little bit old for a first-time serial killer. Mm. So the average male serial killer... Late bloomer. This is not a, like, inspirational, it's never too late to achieve your dreams thing. This is more just an observation. A curiosity. A curiosity. The average male serial He's killer... He's the Oprah of serial killers. No. Again, we're not going with inspirational. <laughs> it's not the fucking J.K. Rowling rags to riches story. No. No. It's the rags to bloody rags story. He's a sad... <laughs> New Brunswick man who just stabbed women. I don't know. There was no jobs in New Brunswick, and he he created one, I guess. Um, the average male serial killer... An innovator. Oh, God. The average male serial killer makes his first kill at the age of 27 and a half. Um, it's 31 for women, but he was 38. I still got time. <laughs> Wait. This is episode, like, 26? Yeah. And I didn't anticipate that. I feel deep shame. Yeah. I usually I can tell what you're gonna. You should say. see this coming. Oh, I should. In any case, here. Wait. For me, would it be somewhere in between? I'm not gonna analyze your gender identity <laughs> in relationship to the age of your first kill. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so the '80s were kind of a peak time for serial killers making their first kill. The number steadily rose up until that point, and they've declined sharply since. We've kind of talked about this on the podcast before. Lead, 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 lead. It is lead. Lead, lead. Do not eat lead. (laughs) Really do not eat lead. Kids who came of age in the 1980s, like Alan Legere, were raised in the golden age of lead and gasoline and childhood head injuries. Wear your bike helmet. Wear it. Or you will wear women like a mask. (laughs) You'll make hats out of their skin. So this is just a fun fact that I... You will floss your teeth with your victim's hair. Hmm. I bet that hurts. Mm. <laughs> so this is just a fun fact I found. In 2015, there were an estimated 30 active serial killers in the United States. Which, yeah, it sounds whistle-worthy until you realize that in 1987, there were 189. You sound like a siren. wee wee uh, there aren't statistics really on Canada, which is a shame because we are excellent at serial killers. We're so good at it. All we have is the Winter Olympics and serial murder. We get bored. It's it's luge or stabbing. Those are the, the winter is long. The winter is dark. <laughs> Night falls and now our watch begins. Oh, <laughs> uh, if you're gonna choose between the two, really pick luge. We have little else to do, and we have many iron defect. We have many, many, many vitamin deficiencies. <laughs> Please just play curling. <laughs> so on the evening of June 21st, Legere broke into the home slash store of an elderly couple named John and Mary Glendening, which is, man, I know a lot of people by that name. Mm. There's like so many. seven la- last names in the Maritimes. 
So some reports say store, some say home. I'm assuming that John and Mary lived above their store, which is common in the area. Uh, so Legier was accompanied by two older teenagers named Todd Matchett and Scott Curtis, both of whom had six years worth of petty offenses on their records, which is impressive. Mm. So they basically were cautious. They hit puberty and they were just off running. Talented. That was no, not self starters. Oh dear God. <laughs> This is, we're now an inspirational podcast for aspiring serial you know, killers. I genuinely did miss the look of exasperation on your face when you tell me off. <laughs> you haven't been able to see me, and the podcast listeners never get to, but I spend half of this podcast with my head in my hands. It's a beautiful moment. I cry real tears <laughs> before, during, and after this. <laughs> so... The three of them cut power to the building and then broke in, intending to steal the safe. They then brutally beat John and Mary several times in the course of the robbery. John not was fun. not fun. That took a just one eighty. Mm. Uh, Whiplash. Yep. That's, that's call your lawyer. Hilarious. What? <laughs> uh, sarcasm. That was sarcasm. We're gonna have a sit down and talk about sarcasm voice. So John was strangled and Mary was sexually assaulted before the three men fled the scene. When Mary got up and went to find her husband, she discovered he'd been beaten to death and crawled up the stairs to call 9 I was going to say 9-11. She didn't call the date. Um, she called the phone number. She called 911. Police apprehended all three. Matchett pleaded guilty to his part in the crime right away, and Curtis and Legere ended up going to trial where they were both convicted. Both Matchett and Curtis maintained that Legere was the ringleader, which makes sense because he was roughly twice their age. Yeah. So I buy it. Yeah, I can get it. Legere was sentenced to life in prison, as were the other two. Um, kind of a fun fact, Todd Matchett, the one who immediately pleaded guilty, was a model inmate from the get-go. He was granted day parole after 20 years, and he was eventually granted full parole. He's currently a carpenter in Vancouver. Oh, good for him. Yeah, he's never had any other run-ins of the law. Curtis, on the other hand, turned out to be a goddamn monster. And after a disastrous attempt at day parole, Corrections Canada is pretty much never letting him out. So that's also fun. So, Todd Matchett picked bad friends. What fragile lives we leave lead. Causality spinning ever, ever closer. Don't kill people. I haven't. That was your yet voice. <laughs> <laughs> I could actually hear you say the word yet in your head. It was there. We all heard it. So during his murder trial, and this was probably a red flag, Alan Legere successfully picked his own handcuffs and attempted to flee the courtroom, but was caught. Uh, the Correctional Service of Canada was not informed of his escape attempt when he was placed in their custody, Whoops. and no one from the prison knew about it until after it was too late. And by after it was too Seems late... important. Yeah, he fucking escaped. So Alan Legere, after his conviction, was sent to the Atlantic Institution, a maximum security prison on the north bank of the southwest Miramichi River, which is a lot of directions. Mm. It's basically the only pro prison in the province that can handle extremely violent offenders. Do you have goddamn hiccups? <laughs> She's sheepishly holding a piece of ice in her mouth. <laughs> um... So, the Atlantic Institution is located in something called a local service district of Renew Coraville. It didn't even make town status. It didn't make hamlet status. It is a local service district. And it has, I quote, exactly from their fucking website, 
around a thousand people. That is actually what they put on official record. Records. They didn't bother to count them. No, all? it's fucking. It's a thousand ish. I don't know what the fuck. Ish. Is, who the fuck cares? So this is one of those prison. Phoning it in. Yeah, they're they're not even trying. It's one of those prison towns where almost everyone works for the prison. Which, if you grew up in a city, you might not know that's a thing, but that mm. is absolutely, absolutely a thing. That's a that's a definite thing. Yeah, like, single industries towns have always been a thing, but it's a peculiar oddity. An odd, odd peculiarity. When the local industry is prison. Prison is recession-proof. Mm. Coal can leave. You don't... We're not yet shipping inmates to China. Yeah. We've yet to run in with... Run, run out of criminals. Yeah, we're not outsourcing that shit yet. So prisons are a huge source of jobs for sad, depressing little small towns, and big cities don't want prisons. This is sort of a symbiotic NIMBY. relationship. This is basically clownfish and fucking an enemy. Yeah. Except not in my backyard. It's just a depressing job that keeps people off welfare. Send them into the countryside. There's a prison town right outside of New York in Westchester County, um, where Sing Sing Maximum Facility is basically propping up an entire town. But what's important about this... Business is booming. As much as I enjoy mocking small towns in my home province, the town isn't large enough to have any major amenities. There's not really any large schools or hospitals. This is important. So just, I just assume that they throw their sick and ailing into the sea. Farewell, grandfather. (laughs) Farewell. You have stubbed your toe for the last time. (laughs) Become one with the waves. Return to whence you came. (laughs) Do you think New Brunswickers crawl forth out of the ocean? Don't all people crawl forth out of the ocean? You are from a landlocked province. It was a we... long fucking crawl. <laughs> That's why we all look like this. Came into this world dirty and calloused. <laughs> Although other people in Legere's life found him frightening and off-putting, as soon as he got into prison, he became a model inmate. And he was particularly friendly with the guards and developed a great relationship with lots of them. Which couldn't really... Suspicious. Yeah, I mean, incredibly suspicious. But it couldn't have been hard to do. The Atlantic Institution only has a capacity of 238, and it's not usually full. Mm. There's usually a a handful of empty cells. So You're not competing with a lot of people for their attention. No, and this is a boring-ass job. Mm. So Legere had something of a Jekyll and Hyde personality his entire life. Like, we've mentioned this before. People either found him kind, engaging... There's lots of people who had nothing but nice things to say about him. He was so nice, he would do... Kind the... of a Lord Byron type, you know? Except without all of the gay sex or Grim living in a house poetic. filled with peacocks. So nothing like Lord Byron. <laughs> nothing at all. He did not go to Oxford with a fucking bear. Cambridge, <laughs> Oxford, one of the two. Oxbridge. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, he didn't go to university and he didn't go with a pet bear. Um, Which is a shame. He just killed, I think that would be a better path. He just killed people. So, um, Legere had the, sort of this Jekyll and Hyde personality. He was either the really nice guy who was helping you clean up after a party, or he was stabbing you to, to, to death. Actually, he wasn't really a stabber. I keep saying stabber. He's a strangler. Mm, he liked to strangle. Very different. Very different. In prison, he had to work very hard to hide this and just keep the charm on. Legere, however, had no intention of spending the rest of his life in prison. He began to secretly drip his own urine into one of his ears, and if you're wondering what that's supposed to accomplish, it will give you a raging ear infection. Do not do it. Just, I wasn't planning on it. I'm glad. I'm glad you're not just sitting around thinking, man, I could use an ear full of urine right now. That has never even occurred to me. I just missed that New York smell. You know? Just when I carry it around with me. Just some stale urine. I have a pretty broad imagination. And you've actually shocked me. <laughs> <laughs> I I wasn't ready for urine in the ear canal. 
You know what? I don't think I ever will be. <laughs> All right. Mission accomplished. So his ear infection became too serious for the prison to treat themselves. So they made arrangements for him to be transported to the Georges Dumont Hospital, uh, University Hospital Center in Moncton on May 3rd, 1989. When they arrived, Legere announced that he had to use the bathroom. And since his good buddies, the prison guards, trusted him so much, they let him use the bathroom unsupervised while wearing his leg and wrist irons. What they didn't know was that Legere had smuggled in a collapsed TV antenna into the hospital inside his own asshole. <laughs> I've startled Jessica. No, now you've delighted me. No, no that's not the correct emotion. There are feelings that you're not allowed to have. And delight at the idea of a snapped off TV antenna telescoped up somebody's asshole is one of them. What if it became stretched out? Why is that better? Why is it making you smile? His ass... His ass had stellar reception. I swear to God, the only entertainment you were allowed as a child was just watching the neighbor's dogs fucking. All day long. And it just... It did something to you deep inside. No, I didn't care for the dog fucking. It was just grass growing. I preferred Pokemon. Okay, good. Awesome. That... Something else broke you. (laughs) It's just that Pokemon isn't on all afternoon. (laughs) You had to make your own fun with the TV antenna. (laughs) Awesome. So he also had a lockpick hidden inside the cigar he brought with him. This was this was a this was a different time. It was a different time. We you could just smoke cigars whenever. We now know that smoking is dangerous. I think we knew that then. I think we just didn't give. But not quite as dangerous as having an entire (laughs) TV antenna. Right up your butt. Mm. It wasn't dangerous for Legere. It was dangerous for everybody else. So he picked the locks on his handcuffs with the cigar he... With, with the lockpick cigar. He then opened the door crack to ask the officer to bring him toilet paper. And when the officer went to do so, Legere burst out of the bathroom and attacked him with the antenna. I like to think that he took it out of his ass before doing this. <laughs> but it's really satisfying to imagine him just, like, whipping it out. Just a fast draw. <laughs> Just hand up and just one fluid motion. See, but the image in my head (laughs) is dark and deeply disturbing. Is attacking him when it's still (laughs) hit. Like a bee stinger. (laughs) Just him whipping around, bent over. We should have got your inhaler before we did this. We need to take a break for Jessica to get her asthma inhaler. <laughs> I've Ellen Legere, he's drunk again. I genuinely sleep <laughs> tiny. This is this is actually a medical emergency now. List me on his Wikipedia page. Do not edit Alan Legere's Wikipedia page. I swear to God. <laughs> This is not factually true. This is just something your dark, dark brain wants to be true. I genuinely don't think Jessica's gonna make it. I really hope you have travel insurance. Yeah. Cost me like 30 bucks. She died doing what she loved. <laughs> Picturing a serial killer with an antenna sticking out of his asshole. I can't breathe. This is this is genuine medical distress. So, go, go on without me. 
go on without you. This is gonna just break you. Um, he then fought his way with it out to the parking lot. <laughs> I think you just woke up the entire building. <laughs> You are listening to the sounds of a woman dying in real time. <laughs> I'm okay. Alright, we're good. We're good. Live another day. Uh, he then carjacked a woman named Peggy Olive, shoving her into her car. He eventually dropped her off in the middle of nowhere. So literally anywhere in New Brunswick. Anywhere in the area. Anywhere. And then took off with the car. So oh, my ribs hurt. I... There are actual tears <laughs> streaming down your face. I just keep thinking of with the TV antenna. I I can almost guarantee you he removed it from his anal cavity before he did this. <laughs> You're not allowed to draw this. You know that, right? I don't think I could ever do it justice. Some things when you're an artist are just beyond, beyond your capacity to truly, truly communicate. If our graphic designer, Ash Hulowitz, draws this for Jessica, I will disown you. <laughs> I will legally adopt you and then disown you, Ash. <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> Don't worry, Ash. You can still call me daddy. Okay, this is weird now. <laughs> so almost immediately after his escape, there was a series of robberies and burglaries, which are two different things, in and around Alan Legere's hometown. At one point, somebody went outside after chasing off a prowler and discovered the glasses Legere had been issued in prison. So the, the strange thing about Legere is that he was just sort of this monster lurking in the woods for seven months. They knew he was there, and they knew <laughs> that he was targeting the people of the Miramichi. They just couldn't catch him. So people lived in absolute terror for the next seven months. We'll sort of get into this. So twenty Hanging out in the woods. Just basically Bigfoot. Just hanging out with missing Maura Murray, which yeah. is a reference from an earlier podcast. Look at that. He was basically a cryptid, except they knew his name and birth date. <laughs> yeah, they fully knew who he was. They just couldn't get him. So 26 days after Alan Legere escaped, police and firemen were called to a devastating fire at the home of 75-year-old Annie Flam, which sounds like a dessert. <laughs> it does. It's a dead woman. Um, so Annie ran a little grocery store, and which she lived above. It was the kind of place where local kids would stop by to spend their allowance on dime candy. She was very much a little mom-and-pop store that was popular in the community. Annie was also very close to her elderly sister-in-law, Nina, who lived in the building. In an adjacent building, it's not entirely clear. Despite being very badly burned, Nina had managed to escape the building and survive the fire. She was able to tell the police that the fire had not been accidental. So a masked man had broken in and demanded money. Before they could give him any, though, he began to attack the two women. He tied Nina to a bed and began to strangle her, and she only survived because she faked her own death, and her attacker took off after setting the place on fire. Nina was able to get free from her restraints while the bed was completely engulfed in flames and made it to safety. Wow. Secret agent grandma. Badass old lady. Annie wasn't so lucky. Her remains were found in her bed. The covers were tucked tightly around her, and it was clear that she hadn't tucked herself in that way. Um, she had a broken jaw, she'd been badly beaten, and she was sexually assaulted. I believe both women were. She actually didn't die from her beating, she died from aspirating her own vomit after throwing up from the force of the attack. Unpleasant. Unpleasant. That's an unusual, Ugh. that's an unusual modus operandi. Beating your victims until they Jimi Hendrix out of this world. 
pretty fucked up. So, police immediately suspected Legere because of the similarities to the Glenn Denning case. Also, pretty much a dead giveaway, Nina reported that her attacker had a prison-style belly chain on. So, in hmm. 26 days, he didn't find out a way to get that off. Um, so they knew it was him. They just couldn't really catch him. Not exactly a renaissance man. No, he's not actually good at, I mean, really anything. So, for a while after the Flam murder, there was just the usual prowler sightings mm. and burglaries until October 13th, 1989. So, somebody walking by the home of the <laughs> Donnie sisters. There's more vowels and consonants there than you can imagine. Um, You're not ready. It's... You're not prepared. This was not spelled in a way that made sense. The Donnie sisters of Newcastle, New Brunswick, and they noticed smoke coming out of the home. So Donna and Linda Donnie, and I swear to God, her name is Donna Donnie. They were unmarried sisters in their 40s who lived in a house together. And they were very popular in their community. Investigators pretty much immediately recognized the case as Alan Legere's work. So the sisters had both been brutally beaten and sexually assaulted. They both had broken bones and they both died of blunt force trauma to the head. Yeah, I don't think there's that many people in Miramichi who match that M.O. You didn't even need the second part of that sentence. Yeah. There's just not that many people in Miramichi. Yeah. I mean, this is Newcastle. This is a whole new bustling metropolis mm. of no one. Yeah. This is, nobody lives there. Hmm, I wonder if it was Alan. Yep, it's mm. Alan. Yeah, I drove through Camelton this summer on my way to <clears throat> New York, and was my, my mom was like, oh, I remember this street. She's like, oh, I remember when everything wasn't boarded up. <laughs> Those were the days. Those were the days. Oh, good. Good. Um, the small towns of Canada everywhere are dying, but they're here, they die fast. Literally everyone we went to visit in Camelton was dead. <laughs> we went to both city graveyards and then we left. It's dark. That's a dark story. The two women were so badly beaten that the funeral director, who had known both of them for years, was only able to tell them apart by weighing them. So. Ooh. Yeah. Ew. That's not good. There was blood- Body shaming, even after death. <laughs> we truly are a fat phobic culture. No, I see you found the fat one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. I. Ah, uh, yes. She was always a bit heavy. <laughs> I mean, otherwise they wouldn't have been able to tell them apart. In the casket you go. I mean, they didn't go in there as punishment for being fat. They went in there because they were dead. I mean- Sure. <laughs> You're going to open a terrifying fat camp one day. <laughs> it's going to be like, it's going to be, it's called a skinny camp. It's going to scare you into being fat. What is the medical purpose of that? My enjoyment. Okay. So... Entertain me, skinny children. <laughs> it's like that scene in Matilda where they just force the child to eat cake <laughs> until everyone feels sick. <laughs> that's a that... delightful film. That's what you dream of. So there was blood from one end of the house to the other. This was an incredibly violent assault, and it was likely one that went on for quite some time. Donna, like Annie, had been found tucked into bed. At this point, police began using DNA to track Legere down, and they found his DNA at both this and the flam killings. Interestingly enough, they had a couple sources of possible DNA for Alan Legere, but the only one that they could legally use was DNA they got from a knife used to stab Legere in prison in 1986. <laughs> Apparently they kept the knife. Nobody watched Memento. It. That was the only legal source of DNA that they had. Fun. A fun. A cute little souvenir. Cute souvenir. So the local terrain made it very difficult to track Legere down. You guys have probably never been to New Brunswick. It's damp. Not just damp. New Brunswick is like 80% impenetrable horror forest. The place is basically a fucking Stephen King novel from one end to the other. Yeah. 
Legere was a rejected weird kid who spent a lot of time running around in the woods. No one else had the same knowledge of the area that he did. Police were able to tail him many times, but his knowledge of the area meant he was always able to elude them. It's seriously hard to overestimate how dense and thick and dark these woods are. He's like a creepy, murdering rapist Peter Pan. Literally going further than ten feet into these woods can be fatal because you'll get turned around. Mm. And you won't be able to find your way back out. You won't be able to find the sun. No, it's gone. You're gone. Everything's gone. You have been swallowed by the wilderness. The forest has you now. This is like a joke, but I genuinely know two people who went missing in the New Brunswick woods and have never been found. Sleep well, kids. Sleep well. That's real. That's a real thing that has happened in my life. This, that was a dark I interlude. got lost in a park once. <laughs> okay, and you, you found your way out. All was good. At one point, Legere got his hands on a gun, and they, the police found out about this because they were chasing him down a railroad track in the middle of the night, and he shot at them when he got too close. Whoops. So yeah, that made the whole thing a little bit more dangerous. A little bit, little bit of anxiety. Was a little bit stressful. Yeah, that kind of ups the hope stakes. Hope they get hazard pay. <laughs> for being shot at. I hope so. So Legere's final and most unusual murder took place on November 24th, 1989. Locals began to congregate at the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary Church, which I'm just assuming is Catholic. There's no way it's There's not. no way that it's not. That is not a Protestant name. It's not. The... It's definitely not a mosque. That name has no chill. <laughs> <laughs> they, the Catholics, they let their freak, freak flag fly. They're not shy about who they are. Mm-mm. They're Jeez. proud. They got chalky wafers, Jesus juice, and the Blessed Virgin Mary. Come on down. <laughs> we were both... You know what you come for when you come to a Catholic we church. We can make these jokes because we were raised Catholic and then fell from grace. <laughs> and now we're going directly to hell. Um... <laughs> Apparently I was really, really insistent about lighting the Advent, ca- advent cal- ca- candles. I lost you in a Catholic church earlier today, and I was somewhat convinced that you'd gone up in flames. I've always liked fire. Okay, that's great. Uh, So this is the local church of Chatham Head, and people began to congregate for the evening mass at around 7pm. By 7.10, there were 30 people just sort of milling around, and there was no priest, which was somewhat unusual. Weird. Yeah, someone suggested that they go check the rectory where Father James Smith lived. Hey, Daddy, where'd you go? That's not how you address a priest. (laughs) That's not how you address a priest. Father and Daddy are interchangeable if you are a posh four-year-old addressing the person who sired you. They're not interchangeable when you are addressing a Catholic priest. Says you. This is why you can't go to confession anymore. There are some cultural differences between our our side, different sides of the country. Yeah, I clearly left the Catholic Church voluntarily while you were expelled. <laughs> Some of us fall from grace. Some of us plummet. <laughs> Just a swan dive. Um, the person who checked the rectory came running back, screaming for someone to call the police. The house was a similar scene of violence and brutality. Father James had been tortured and beaten to death in his office. Because he hadn't managed to set this house on fire, Legere left a ton of evidence behind. Mm. After killing the priest, he'd taken off with the priest's car, which was later found at a motel containing boots that matched the boot prints at the scene. Forensics. Yay. Hooray. Science. So a week later, on November 24th, 1989, Legere got into a taxi in St. John and pointed a gun at the driver, demanding to be taken to Moncton. Rude. He maybe didn't understand how taxis worked. You just pay your fare, dude. You don't even have to. You can just skip. I mean, you shouldn't, but you you could theoretically skip out at the end. He probably wouldn't even report it to the police. You don't need to point a gun at a taxi driver to make them go places. Yeah, they just go. 
It's what they do. This is literally the only reason that they exist. <laughs> you don't have to convince them. Of, they, that's what they do. Mm. It's like if you walk into a walk into a restaurant and you just like, you know, level the knife at the waitress and you said, "I'd like a bake some bacon eggs, please." Yeah, you don't have to carjack a taxi. That's, no, they're literally there so that you don't have to carjack people. That's their that's whole reason for. for being. Road conditions were terrible, and the taxi skidded off the road. Legere then flagged down a passing vehicle and carjacked her too. And he took the taxi driver along. They were all going on a fun buddy road trip. Why is the taxi driver coming? As a hostage, he knows too much. He, he knows too much. Or maybe Legere was having a moment of kindness and didn't want to leave him alone in a snowstorm. I mean, I may be a murdering rapist with many deaths to my name. But I'm not going to leave a guy stranded. Have a little decency. Have a heart. Well, Legere was an unlucky murdering rapist because the woman he hijacked was an undercover RCMP officer. Dun, dun, dun. Off duty. She was off duty in her plain clothes. But she was still police. So eventually they got lost in the- Badass police. Oh, yeah, she you was. You do not fuck with the RCMP. You do not fuck with this woman in particular. There mm. may be some RCMP that can be fucked with. This woman is not This one. is not among them. So eventually they got lost in the blinding snowstorm because you seriously shouldn't drive in New Brunswick in a snowstorm. Absolutely not. There was like six feet of snow the winter before I was born. New Brunswick does not fuck around with the snow. So eventually they got lost and spent so much time just wandering around that they needed gas. So he had the driver pull into a gas station near Sussex. He took away her car keys, filled the tank, and then went in to pay. The driver then whipped out a spare key. (laughs) Genius. Like, that's... Okay. Thinking. That's one way to do it. And she got the fuck out of there. The pair did not stop driving until they felt safe enough to call the police. This poor cab driver. Yeah, he's had a day. He has had a day. He didn't need this. It is hard enough being a cabbie. Just the reality of the horrifying work and almost unforgiving bullshit you have to put up with as a cab driver he didn't is need this. enough. He didn't need this. Nobody needs this, but particularly not a cabbie. Yeah. So, um, Legere, undeterred, carjacked a truck driver because this is the only mode of locomotion he knew. Yeah. He, he only doesn't, he doesn't walk places. No, he doesn't he, bike. He carjacks. He carjacks. This is a legitimate mode of transportation to him. Yeah. And he demanded to be taken to Moncton, but the police were one step ahead of him and they had set up roadblocks. Yeah. Had he had Alan Legere been around in the time of Google, he would be disappointed when he flicked over and there was no, like, how long it takes to carjack to get to the mall. <laughs> I keep seeing public transit. I want carjacking. Dang it, which sim- which which of these symbols is the one? I don't want to walk. That takes forever. God, if Uber had existed, his reign of terror could have gone on for so much longer. <laughs> so after 201 days, Alan Legere was successfully apprehended. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Legere was the first person in Canada ever to be convicted with DNA instead of exonerated. That was the only purpose we had used DNA for up until that point. Um, He is now considered a dangerous offender, which is a fancy Canadian way of saying that he's literally never getting out. No. Canada has, um, I mean, in- in, He's a nope. It's a nope. That's a nope for once. Once we've decided that you are a dangerous offender, you are now, you live in prison now. You go away for a very long time, and that very long time is forever. And he lives in the in our old stomping grounds. Yeah, he lives in Edmonton now. He does. Actually, all the most dangerous and fucked up people live in Edmonton. They do. The Edmonton Institute is a messed up place. And Edmonton has Canada's only maximum security facility for women. He's a fellow Edmontonian. Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, See, I've always found that comforting that if any of my female relatives ever just committed a truly heinous crime, I'd be able to visit. 
I know that's one of my main concerns. I'm just like, man, you know, I have a giant student loan to pay off. I don't know what direction my career is going to take. Um, I haven't, you know, been met anybody to settle down with. But, like, what happens if my mom flips out and kills the postman? Yeah, How will then? I visit? <laughs> that's that's the good. The logistics are terrifying. Gotta worry about the real things. Mm. During his seven-month reign of terror, locals in the Miramichi area and all of New Brunswick were absolutely fucking petrified of him. There is a lot of petty crime in New Brunswick, much of it sad and crystal meth related, but they were not used to anything like this. This is a different magnitude of fucked up. There was a dramatic uptick in gun sales during the time that Legere was at large, and many people just stopped leaving their homes at night. Um, people put up industrial fucking floodlights around their homes, which were genuinely called Legere lights. In case he came near the house, he would just be absolutely flooded with light. The literal boogeyman. This was so bad, they actually cancelled Halloween. Trick-or-treating was cancelled that year. Children were not allowed to trick-or-treat out of fear that he would do something. They had these controlled indoor parties instead, but nobody was allowed to trick-or-treat in the area. Everybody was getting the lame... The, the lame church party treatment. Because, yo, yeah, absolutely. It was just sad and church sanctioned and nobody wanted that. So. Those poor children. <laughs> that's the real crime here. Oh. Stripping away of childlike joy. Actually, I hate Halloween. Uh, also, Never mind. What? How do you Thanks, hate Halloween? Thanks, Alan Legere. It's like the one time a year you can be yourself and people don't call helplines. Yeah, it's boring. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Because Legere lived in the woods, and most people who live in New Brunswick also somewhat live in the woods, people were actually afraid to even talk about him for fear that he might be hiding within earshot. Your woods are woods adjacent. You're, yeah, you were always woods adjacent. Legere was basically Voldemort. People would not allow their family members to talk about this while sitting on the back porch or even sitting in their homes. They were genuinely that afraid that he might be nearby. So to get into more of him as a serial killer in general, Alan Legere's motives are somewhat unusual. Uh, there's a chance that he got a sexual thrill from assaulting very elderly ladies, which... Odd. Yeah. Weird. There's a lot there. It's complicated. It's... I don't know. I bet it has something to do with his mom. Oh, God. I'm not really much of a Freudian, but ew. I I, I normally don't agree with Freud, but I'm, I'm willing to bet it was his mom. You're making an exception? Mom. 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 Totally mom. <laughs> I'm making an exception, and this time I'm, I'm, I'm siding with Siggy. Ew. Don't call him Siggy. <laughs> I'll call him whatever I want. Would you like me to call him Freddy? Ew, none of that is okay. Deeply disturbing. Uh, a forensic psychologist hypothesized that he might have targeted vulnerable old people because Legere was deeply insecure. He was a sad, sad little boy. <laughs> and he wanted victims he knew that he could definitely overpower. Um, Legere was always... Definitely not picking on people his own size. No. Well, he was. Legere was physically very short and tiny. I mean, I don't know why I'm saying was. This guy's still alive. If you want a fucked up prison pen pal, you go for it. <laughs> you do you, baby. I actually never found out whether he's English or French speaking, but I assume... Anglo? Possibly. The trial transcripts are in English, but it's hard to tell in your brother. But I mean, his last name is Legere. It could go either way. Right? I, I was actually very confused. And the, the hospital he was taken to in Moncton is in the French network, not the English network. Because I was born on the English side. Hooray. Some of us can only be so lucky. I know both hospitals in Moncton. It's great. <laughs> what a superpower. Um, so, Legere was obsessed with bodybuilding for much of his life because he was so tiny. There's, like, if you Google Alan Legere, two L's, by the way, there are a weird amount of pictures of him shirtless out there. 
Mm. He looks like a ripped Cat Stevens. <laughs> it, genuinely, I'm going to show you pictures in a second, and you're gonna, you're gonna. I'm going to show you pictures now. I have the. You're sitting right here. We have the power. I can look at this. Um, you we, don't even have to link me to them over over Skype. I that's is that normally how I know you normally just Google things yourself. Yeah, I normally. Just Google, I want you to look at Google this man, myself. and I want you to tell me if he looks like a ripped Cat Stevens. I mean, he already looks like a Cat Stevens. He looks like a ripped Cat Stevens. Hmm. I'm not gonna search Alan Lazier shirtless because that's that's a. Yeah, that's that's enough. That will get you on a watch list. That will get you on so many watch lists. Yeah, he looks. He's just a. Just a ripped. He looks like Cat Stevens. Yep. I stand by that. Didn't have the same call to faith, though. It's widely believed that Legier wanted to take revenge on his hometown for rejecting him and making him feel inferior and unwanted. Like I mentioned before, Alan Legier was sort of a little shit. And the more of a little shit he was, the more people didn't like him. Weird. Yeah. Strange that. Strange how that works. And, like, I get that it sucks to be a lonely, weird child constantly rejected by your peers. I can see, uh, I can see that. I get that. But this seems disproportionate. Yeah, normally you just sort of, like, move. Yeah. You sort of, you just leave. You just leave. You, you just leave. You don't try you leave, to kill You become a different there. person. You leave the, pa- you put the past behind you. You leave. Yeah. Legere was also very weird about the Catholic Church. He accused them of hoarding gold. I mean, Okay. Sure. Sure. And he himself, uh, I mean, it's not the worst thing anyone's ever accused them of. I mean, I've accused them of worse. Repeatedly. Today. Yeah. Yeah. What? Were you just wandering around a Catholic cathedral muttering threats? (laughs) Oh, no. We went to a Catholic cathedral that had a salvation vending machine, which is my favorite thing ever. (laughs) Literally. You just, it was the tack, it was this tacky vending machine with the Pope's face on it. You put money in and it like. You, 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 you crank it and then it pops out a coin. Your salvation tokens yeah. come out. Yeah, it has a Pope of... Has, a, has, a, has, a, has Pope Frankie's face on it. It's like a bridge token mm. to go to heaven. <laughs> Two dollars. It was a steal. Legere heavily identified with satanic verses, and he prefers to go by the name Nick. After Old Nick, which is a nickname for Satan. Apparently. Also Santa Claus, which is like <laughs> Slightly different reputation. Funny enough, Nick is the name they that They both he- dress in red coincidence yes yes because saint nicholas uh interestingly enough was usually depicted in green until coca-cola oh yeah fuck them and their branding Mm. it's all branding it is all All your cherished childhood memories they're all branding madison avenue chose your childhood images out of paint swatches why madison avenue I have no idea. You're blaming an entire north to south avenue that runs the length of Manhattan? Isn't that where, like, ad companies used to live? We're, like, four streets from it I'm right making now. a reference. I'm making a neat New York reference. You just saw I'm the name. I'm getting topical. You just, you walked on it today and now that's in your head. Yeah. Yeah. I helped somebody figure out the metro system today. I'm basically a New Yorker already. Jessica has been reunited with her great love. Ah, uh, Yes. The MTA. My girl from the MTA. Okay, gross. <laughs> Which she made us grubby and I love her. She made us wait 20 minutes in a dirty train station. I didn't make you. You came along with me on a journey. Okay. We sat in a train station because our feet hurt. It smelt of stale piss and boiled hot dogs and I've never been more love. All right. Uh, so Nick is actually the name that Alan Legere uses to threaten journalists, so when I get an anonymous mm. letter in the mail, that's what it'll be signed as. <laughs> Fantastic. And then you'll finally be a journalist. Excellent. 
I don't think any of this counts as journalism. <laughs> um, what is it then? I don't know why I needed a hearty clap on the back for that, but I, I think I did. I'm trying to become more physically affectionate. <laughs> I've been told I can be cold. <laughs> Mostly by the locals of my hometown. Excellent. Who rejected me and feared me. And whose homes you did not burn down with books. Because I moved. I have healthier coping strategies. <laughs> Learn from my example, Just Alan. Leave. Just leave. The The murder of the priest is believed to be largely symbolic killing. New Brunswick is heavily, heavily Catholic. There is no escape. And murdering the priest was the ultimate way to hurt his entire hometown. By just, just murdering the core of who they are. Mm. So. Just an attack on their faith. Yeah. So that's Alan Legier. Did he tuck the priest into bed? No, he left him on the floor. Hmm. Rude. <laughs> Rude. That's actually the thing I found most unsettling about the murders. That he tucks them in? Yeah. Yeah, it's a little like fucked that. up. I don't it's, like that. It's it's hard to say whether his killings of elderly women and his killings of the priest had the same motivation. But I'm going to go no. with no. 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 That's not similar. No. They have different M.O.s. He's he's just not well. He's mm. not a, he's not a man who is okay. I assume he did not also assault the priest. I it wasn't mentioned anywhere that he did. So Okay, so I'm going to assume no. We're going to go with no. Okay. But um yeah, that's been Alan Legier. That has been in fact Alan Legier. Like I said, he should be more famous. Mm. Not because I think he has merit, but because he's interesting. The very worst of us can be useful by serving as bad examples. Or we could study his brain after he dies. I don't know. Yeah, That's probably cool. useful, too. Take, pop it out. Look at it. See if it's neat. <laughs> awesome. See well, if it jiggles. You learned something horrifying about New Brunswick, which is all this podcast is really here for, I think. It's why this podcast was founded. <laughs> to shit on my home province. Mm. <laughs> We've come full circle. <laughs> we definitely have. Thanks one again, once again for tuning in. I've been Jessica. And I have been Janelle, and we are in the same room. <laughs> and we are fat, fat French, and fabulous. fabulous. That works so much better when I can way see Way better you. in person. God damn it. <laughs> We're never going to do it that well again. <laughs> this is the peak, folks. It's all downhill from here. It's all downhill from here. And thank you so much for listening to another week of the podcast. We are so grateful that you guys keep tuning in for this nonsense. We're really sorry that this week's episode was late. It turns out that we were having too much fun in New York to bother doing the things we're supposed to do on time. So, sorry about that. Next week's episode may or may not be late again. Um, thank you so much to everybody who has reviewed the podcast. We owe you our eternal souls. If you haven't reviewed the podcast and you do like us... It takes a couple seconds to do it. It really helps us out. and We would really appreciate it. Please go send us a review. That would be fantastic. If you haven't subscribed to us already, we highly recommend that you do so. You can find us on Facebook at Fat French and Fabulous. You can find us on Twitter at Fat French Fab. And if you like one of us more than the other, that's totally fine, as long as it's me. You can find me on Twitter at VeryBadLama, or you can find Jessica on Twitter at IamNotAlungFish. And I think that's everything we have for you guys today. We'll be back with another episode recorded right here in New York together in person next week. See you then.